0: All right, welcome to the State of the Lakers on Dash Radio. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out on the what's it, Tuesday Tuesday night? Uh, finally, some, uh, I would say easily, the high point of the Lakers season, which is what we needed after that horrible news this afternoon um, that LeBron was going down. I had a good feeling about tonight, um, and I'll explain why in a minute, but uh, I'm really glad that you and I, Raj, can, for the most part, talk about uh, good things tonight and, and talk about how this might be just the, <clears throat> the second consecutive step in the right direction. How you doing, buddy? How's your week going so far?
1: Doing well. Yeah, I saw you and a bunch of other people tweeting positive about the Lakers early in the day. And, and I just knew there was something bad, uh, just a bad thing I felt was going to happen. And we got the LeBron news, right, that he's going to be out. Uh, I think we'll see. It's probably going to be 10 days or something. It just felt like this team can't build any rhythm. And it's not an excuse to come in tonight and try and lose against the Kings, but I was a little bit worried about that. And then the game started, and we started really slow. Frank again went went with DeAndre Jordan. Ryan right? was really ugly. I think we had like 14 points for a lot of the first quarter, but that second half was huge, man. and We'll get into it, but you're right. It's probably the high point of the season, which is fascinating to say after we get the news that we lose LeBron for for a couple of days. Uh, but yeah, just a high point, something we could build off of. I talked about it after the last game. They they've lost the benefit of the doubt after the Detroit game. Uh, that they would build off of off of that win. Uh, it was good to see it tonight. I thought it was just an incredible second half, like an incredible third quarter from the superstars and uh, Dwight Howard as well being involved in that. But but yeah, man, just a, just a good win. <laughs> it, it's nice to have a good win and and everyone coming coming over from the Warriors Suns game. I bet a lot of people uh, stuck to that one. But but yeah, this was a good one, a, a fun game finally uh, for us. The team was fun to watch tonight. Yeah. One, of,
0: one of the biggest things that I've, I've been complaining about all year is like, you know, the, the Lakers had an unlikable basketball character. You know, they you know, if they if the if, if you could sum up the entire Lakers personality into someone that would show up to your gym and play pickup with you, he'd be the guy you don't want to play with. That has all the talent in the world, but doesn't care and isn't willing to do the dirty work. It doesn't really value the win as much as you do. doesn't care if you lose and have to wait three games to get back on. That was the Lakers this entire season, really up until, in my opinion, the last game, even in the first chunk of the season, they would have stretches where they would put those things together, but they were just stretches. Even in the same game, they'd be terrible. Like you'd look at the Cleveland game and you'd be like, man, LeBron was magnificent down the stretch. They won by 12. The defense was great. You know that looked like Laker basketball, and you forget that like for most of that game they were kind of (laughs) coasting. You know, and that LeBron really wasn't good for most of that game. And and what what stood out to me in the in the last game uh, against Detroit was there was just a different energy around the team, and it didn't manifest on the scoreboard because there were so many old habits that they had to kick. There was the DeAndre Jordan, you know, kind of clunkiness in the the offense, particularly in the first half, although they put together some good DeAndre Jordan minutes in the second half. There was the, you know, there was the fact that the role players were not making shots I actually kind of dug into the numbers a little bit today and coming into tonight, Malik Monk was below 35% on wide open threes. So I kind of felt like there was, you know, kind of a positive regression that was on regression Uh was on the way there, you know. And tonight, like, you know, it's funny <clears throat> that same energy carried over from the last game. The problem was, is the, the Lakers were just, like, the theme of the first half was just self-sabotage. They were just undercutting their own good process with turnovers, stakes, yeah. turnovers. uh, THT was really, really bad. So bad that Frank went back to Rondo, which was mm-hmm. really interesting. Uh, but the, 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 young fella had to learn a lesson, a valuable lesson We'll get into that later. But the point being is just to see that effort carry over, that was why I had a good feeling about tonight. I just felt like for the first time all year against the Pistons, even though it was ugly, it seemed like the team kind of understood that they weren't good enough to not respect the game and that they had to take it more seriously. And you saw it down the roster. And then that carried over in tonight. There were some obvious turnovers and things along those lines to undercut them but that wave caught in that second half. And when it caught in the second half, you saw the massive talent gap. And again, the Kings have a lot of talent. Rashawn Holmes is good. De'Aaron Fox is good. Buddy Heald is good. Tyrese Halliburton Mm -hmm. is good. And we have, even without LeBron, a lot more talent than them. We just weren't respecting the game for this entire first chunk of the season. And so we'll get into more of the X's and O's details tonight. But foundationally, Just in terms of their basketball character, there needed to be a change there. And I saw that change against Detroit. I thought it would continue tonight. And so far it's only two games, but I'm glad to see that that change appears to be happening.
1: Yeah, and I feel like this team, again, kind of goes as Russ goes. And I've been thinking about this a lot. We've talked a lot lot over the summer when when they acquired Russ, as that Russ is supposed to be the third option, right? Like he's supposed to be the third option on this team. But, Jason, like, I don't know if you would agree. Like, he hasn't been the third option, right? He's been, like, the first option. It's been, like, him trying to run the show and then LeBron and AD kind of coasting, trying to go through it. And that's not really how this team is going to work. That's not the ceiling of this team. And I thought Detroit uh, against the Pistons, I thought we saw what the ceiling of this team is, which is LeBron and AD playing at their their high level and Russ being able to pick his spots a little bit more, attacking, ta- attacking spots of the game. Not comparing them, but similarly to when I watch the Warriors, right? When I watch... Andrew Wiggins be able to just pick his spots and now he's averaging like 20 on a super efficient level that he's never done in his career is because he's playing as like a third fourth option on that team and again not comparing Russ to Andrew Wiggins in that way it's just I think that's where this team is best but man in that third quarter I I think we can kind of move a little bit to why like I think the effort obviously was was big tonight I thought you know they went down big in the first quarter and I was a little bit worried about the game getting out of hand but the big shift, obviously, obviously at halftime was putting in Dwight Howard for, for DeAndre Jordan. And again, I don't think that was just the magic elixir; that was a big part of it. But I thought the getting Russ going downhill, I thought was huge. He needs to be involved in the game, and I thought just early on, there was just no space for him to work. Putting him with Tht with AD and DeAndre, it's just a phone booth. And yeah, our defense was okay. We were still giving up a lot of lob dunks to Rashawn Holmes. But in that third quarter, that switch up is part of it i think they play harder when they're in better lineups too right they're kind of interconnected there and i thought the dwight ad uh with monk and ellington in the corners for russ just got him going he got downhill you saw him start to rock the baby and it kind of energized the rest of the team you saw our defense pick up dwight was incredible again in that third quarter ad and dwight looked like 2019 ad and dwight uh, if you go check those numbers are great those two are a force, um, even when we go big with, with them, too. But I thought that's what switched the game to be. Would you agree with that? I thought that's where the momentum changed. I thought when they went into that, like, just double screen at the top, Ellington and Monk in the corner, and Russ was able to go downhill. And I thought a lot of his turnovers early, honestly, was overpassing. Uh, he would drive, and there was no help created. He didn't create any advantage. So he'd come off a screen, and it's like Alex Lynn waiting for him, and he gets in the air and passes, and he got a lot of turnovers early. And I thought that shifted the game in the third quarter. Russ got downhill. He scored. He saw his confidence pick up, his speed, his burst was there. He started to finish at the rim. Uh, did you see that as well? I thought that's what shifted uh, the game tonight, just putting him with spacing. And even if it, even though it was two bigs, they were both screening at the top, and it got him just downhill and uh, being able to to get to the basket a little bit more. And I thought that opened everything up for the team.
0: Yeah, no, D- Dwight Howard was you know one of the biggest heroes of the game, in my opinion, which was so interesting this – this this Dwight thing is kind of hilarious because I was unaware of the fact that he was uh, that it was intentional to rest him last game against Detroit. I didn't. Yeah. I thought I thought it would, might have been associated with injury or something like that. When I found out uh, uh, today and yesterday that 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 was intentional, like it, like a planned rest <laughs> in order in order to see LeBron as the center with the bench lineups. I, I I nearly lost my shit because I'm literally sitting there thinking I'm like I'm like then why are we playing DeAndre <laughs> like like Dwight is five times the player of DeAndre like at, at least I'm probably underselling it there like he's there's not a single thing that DeAndre ju- does on the basketball court as well as Dwight does it and so I, I get it look if you want to lean into you know playing big and then also playing really small with LeBron at the center that's cool I can actually get behind that philosophically. But then why in the world were we playing DeAndre like it, you know, and, and like I've told you so many times, like I actually don't mind when the Lakers go big in small doses when it's Dwight, because the, sure. the, the Dwight AD pairing is so devastating defensively on teams. It can be physically overwhelming. And I think we saw that in the second. It was actually a really interesting Dwight game because as much as I, I didn't actually come out and say those things that I just said but I planned on doing it later tonight, and then Dwight came out and really, really got exposed as someone who was slow-footed against Rashawn Holmes. And he really struggled with him in the second quarter on the glass and really, really struggled with him in pick and roll. But at, at a certain point, Dwight kind of, I don't know if he just caught a second wind or if he just started to just play harder and play better. But there in the in the third quarter, Dwight's, D- Dwight became the person who was winning that matchup. And, and Sacramento really couldn't do anything with him. Um, but like the, the bottom line is, is like strategically, it never makes any sense to drop a center and have Dwight be the one you drop and leave Deandre in the lineup. That was so incredibly confusing, but again, and bringing it back to Russ, uh, with, with his rim pressure, you know, Darius Soriano pointed this out and I thought it was super interesting. It goes, Russ is a really interesting player to watch his rhythm build because he kind of just tries to plow through the wall and it doesn't work and it doesn't work and it doesn't work and it doesn't work. And, it doesn't work and then it works. And, you know, the reason why it does is it's physical wear and tear. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's like, it, it, it's, it's no different than over the course of a football game. If you, if you, if you're the physically superior person, even if they manage to block you on the line once or twice or three times or four times, eventually you're going to break through. Eventually you're going to wear them down. And that was such an interesting effect from Russ tonight, just continuing to just almost be reckless with his attacks of the basket but eventually, those small, slight guards that Sacramento had eventually just couldn't handle it anymore. And even with the big uh, Laker lineups, he was able to get into the paint. And then from there, it was simple. Malik Monk missed a couple of really easy, wide-open shots to start the game, immediately reminding me of those numbers that I looked up earlier today. And then they started going in. And then Ellington so, uh, Ellington missed his first couple shots, a wide-open uh, his fir- at The first look that I saw that he got was wide open. And I'm like, man, some of these got to start going in. And then they did in the second half. And what you saw is it invigorated their defense. And when it invigorated their defense, that looked like the 2020 Lakers there in the second half. Flying around. AD and Dwight blocking everything everywhere. Getting into passing lanes. Guys making extra efforts. Guys boxing out. It just became contagious. And, you know, I, I-, I always believed this was in there. I thought it was trapped and hidden under their shitty basketball character that they had to kick. But once they kicked that, they had to kick some bad habits, but it was inevitable that they would start to have some runs like this because that talent is there. I, I have always believed that was the case. And so I, I thought it, it was really, really exciting to watch that tonight. Jason,
1: they won the second half, and I think I have my numbers correctly, 67 to 33. Like, that's a real, that's a real thing that happened tonight. And the Kings – you know, they're not a great team. They're missing Harrison Bonds Barnes tonight. But like you said, they have real NBA talent. Buddy Hill, Jaron Fox, you named it, Rashawn Holmes. Sixty-seven to thirty-three. There was some shift at halftime there where like that's not nothing to me. And I thought tonight was a was very important. Like it, it could have it was really easy in that first quarter. They could have just laid down, right? Like you talked about their basketball character or whatever. They could have easily just laid down. The Kings Played well to start. They went up like 17 to 10. They had a double-digit lead, I believe, after, after the first quarter. Could have been very easy to just lie down, to just quit, quit on this game. Uh, we don't have LeBron. We'll just move on to go home. And I thought it was big to see them come back and, and roar back the way they did, especially in that second half. Malik Monk hitting the halftime heave uh, before halftime, I believe, to put us— uh, That was a
0: huge shot.
1: Yeah, to put us, I believe, by nine at halftime. And then they just came out and shut them down. And you talked about them not being able to get to get a shot up. I thought Malik Monk and Ellington's defense was a big part of that. The whole reason—again, not to <laughs> belabor Vogel again, but the whole reason Vogel doesn't go to these small lineups or these guard-heavy lineups is his defensive He's worried about the defense, right, the defensive issues that it can bring. And I thought Ellington, especially tonight, he's not ever going to be great, but I thought he did his job. Like, he did his role, right, and he didn't get back cut. Kings tried to do these back passes, and he, I think he got a bunch of deflections there. He fought over screens pretty nicely. I thought Malik Monk fought down low. Like, you saw him go for rebounds, go for defensive rebounds, jump, jump in the air, get dirty. Austin Reeves, again, is part of that. I thought he played well, his box out, his toughness. Uh, was part of it. But I thought the guards played well. To me, this is a lineup that I'd like to see, I guess, start the game. Uh, I think it's clear, like, Talon isn't fit for that lineup yet, especially without LeBron. I don't think you can fit Talon, especially if, if Vogel's going to start another center. I would love to see Russ, Ellington, uh, Monk, and Dwight, and AD start because I feel like we're going to continue the two bigs. But that was just something that really ran the Kings off the floor. They had no answer for it. They had no answer for it offensively or defensively, and it was it was cool to see us build something. And hopefully, they can continue to build on this even without LeBron. But I thought that was just another good process thing. It wasn't an accident that Russ played well in the third, to me. Like I know his effort and all that, and he's and he he plays hard, but but we have to fit him in these lineups that make sense. And I I just think he needs at least that type of shooting on the floor when you have Ru- when you have Ellington and. Monk in the corners it's hard to cheat off of right that's just a lot tougher uh, for him to for the for the guys to help and, and zone off and uh we when we put ad and Dwight at the top it just gives him a runway with these guards going so far under the screens it just gets him to the basket. I thought that's something we can use going forward but yeah a good win hopefully this is something that they build off of uh I believe on Friday
0: yeah I 100 agree I wanted to move on to Anthony Davis for a second mm-hmm. you know. Coming into tonight, after I heard the news about LeBron, and we're not going to talk too much about the LeBron thing. I mean, here, here's the gist of it. He's we don't. I, I still don't really fully understand how the protocols work in terms of like how many days he's out and how many blah blah blah. I hear ten days, but then I hear, oh, what if he gets two negative tests within 24 hours? Bottom line is, even if it is ten days, uh, it looks like thankfully because the Lakers' schedule is so s- randomly stressed, stretched out here, it looks like he might only miss like three or four games. So that in terms of what this terrible news is, this is like the best version of that terrible news. You know what I mean? Um, right. um, it's unfortunate because I don't know that they have enough talent to win against the Clippers. We're going to find out. Uh, but that said, like it, it's one of those things where it is what it is at this point. And coming into this uh, evening, I wanted to have one of our you know goals for tonight's pod to be like, okay, if you're the Lakers and you're starting to build some positive momentum what should your goal be in this LeBron is down moment here? You know, cause it's, it's different from when he went down the last couple of times. Cause when he went down the last couple of times, it was, it was injury. You know, there was internal discussions. They made a plan like we LeBron probably could play through this, but we're planning to rest him because it's early in the season. We believe that the, whatever damage in the standings can be done, we can make up for it. They even thought in that second rest stretch that, That they'd be able to win a bunch of those games, which obviously they were unable to. But this was a complete shock here. So, as a team, how do you re how do you reorganize? How do you move forward? And one of the top item on my list was Anthony Davis has to play like an MVP. You know, I we talked a lot in the last pod about how we hold Anthony Davis to the standard of the best Mm -hmm. players in the league. That is why we nitpick him. We don't nitpick him to be jerks. We nitpick him because we think he should be closer to Giannis than he is to Gobert. You know what I mean? And by virtue of that standard, we nitpick him. You know what I mean? And to, we, this team without LeBron needs him to play like he's in the conversation for the best player of the world. What does that mean? That means he needs to play like the defensive player of the year. That means he can't float around the perimeter on offense. That means he has to be a physically aggressive offensive player who attempts to inflict his physical will on everybody on the other team. And from the opening tip tonight, he did that. He was bullying his way into the paint, take advantage of his size mismatches to get shots uh, around the rim. He was flying around on defense, not just in his area, but outside of his area. He looked like a guy who was a bonafide best player in the world candidate tonight. And that needs to be what he is every single night, especially in this stretch with LeBron out. But I was thankful to see that because I coming into tonight thought that was going to be the most important thing for, to to get out of this team over the course of these next 10 days. And to see that was encouraging. And then Russ, who has been so good for the last couple of weeks, kind of got off to a crappy start tonight. Um, And it was good to see Mm -hmm. that, you know, we used to see this a lot with LeBron and AD, where, you know, AD would get off to kind of a funky start in a game, but LeBron would be spectacular. And it almost like that type of your competitive nature brings it out of you. You can't sit there and watch your buddy selling his soul for wins and not get caught up in it and try to do the same thing. And so to me, it was inevitable that Russ would inevitably join AD at that level. And he did tonight. And so that's the key moving forward. In addition to all the other little details that we'll talk about later, because I do want to talk about the de- defense tonight. I do want to talk about the, uh, the little details that make a, a, a good basketball team later on in the, in the show. But at the top, it had to start with Anthony Davis playing like an MVP candidate and Russ trying to meet him at that level. And Russ may not be able to meet him at that level all the time. That's too unfair to expect from him at this point in his career, But he was able to do it tonight. And when you combine that with Anthony Davis, you get a team that's capable of beating the Kings on the road by 20-plus. And uh, I thought it was another really, really good positive step in that direction.
1: Yeah, I thought his uh, overall aggression throughout the game was great. It was a lot of post-ups still early. And again, the offense is never going to look pretty uh, but I thought he took it, I believe it was Metu who was guarding him early, took him to the basket. His jumper also looks good, looks better, looks like it's trending upward. I thought the mid-range uh, looked good again tonight. Twelve for I believe he was 12 for 22. The numbers I always look at with AD, steals, the stocks, so steals, blocks, two steals, two blocks, uh, two offensive rebounds. like That's the stuff I look at, see that he's engaged, and I thought, again, he was tonight. When we went to that two-big lineup, he was able to roam, got a lot of steals, uh, it just looked like the old Anthony Davis, right? Engaged, looked like the best defense player in the world. Uh, he was taking away anything the Kings had, taking away on switches. He was just a problem tonight, and, and we need that every single night, especially with LeBron out here. And again, this time, this kind of AD makes Russ the second option. Like He's not the third option, which is the ideal ceiling of this team, but puts Russ as the second option. And if Russ is your second option on every other night, you have a pretty you should have a pretty darn good team, like night to night. Not against the best teams, but again, like you said, against the Kings on the road. If Russ is your is your absolute second option, and AD can be the full one option, like that's that's a good enough team to win. And I thought we saw that tonight. AD was aggressive uh, early on, post ups, jumpers, uh, keeping the team in it a lot with his offense in the first half. And then Russ took over in the third, and AD kind of joined him, and they went on the defensive run together. But some other numbers I thought before we get into the super super deep details. Malik Malik Monk a plus thirty three, uh, Wayne Ellington uh, Wayne Ellington tonight I believe was a, a plus thirteen. Dwight Howard a plus twenty seven. So that lineup just absolutely destroyed the Kings. Uh, that you know that uh, Monk Russ Monk Russ Ellington uh, Dwight and AD lineup absolutely just destroyed them. Something that hopefully Vogel uses uh, going forward. But that's a good process thing. Another good game from AD back to back at least twenty four point games uh on the season and the Clippers uh Clippers aren't playing great right now so that's another game you can get like they're they're not playing well I think they just lost to the Pelicans at home so it's a it's another game we can get
0: was that the lineup that you were talking about that you would want as the starting lineup
1: yeah I think that's that or if you want you could put Reeves I guess in there but I I just think that's a lineup that we need to to go to uh just to just to open things up but I think these slow starts are Again, it was great tonight to come back, get another comeback win. But these slow starts are, are really hurting, and and I think Dwight at least will start the next game. Uh, we'll see about if. Did uh, you like see him. that
0: uh, altercation between Frank and uh, DeAndre? I just saw it um, on Twitter. Did uh, you happen no, to catch yeah. that? Go to Pick Up Hoops Twitter feed, and you'll get to see it. <laughs> but uh, okay. it's interesting because the uh, I I. You know, Frank had hinted at at potentially starting Dwight instead of DJ just to kind of see what it would look like. I'm shocked that he didn't go there tonight and then had the quick hook with DJ, which makes you wonder, okay, if you were leaning that direction to begin with, why isn't that the way you started? You know what I mean? Um, but you know, it's it's an interesting conundrum because w- when you go big with Dwight, there's a couple of reasons why it's different than when you go big with DeAndre. When you go big with Dwight, first of all, yes, does it hurt the spacing? Absolutely. However, there's a couple of differences. De- uh, Dwight actively fights the negatives of the way it hurts the spacing by being an active offensive rebounder. Okay. That's a big deal it, the, the, he recovers. If you want to, okay. If you want to attribute a points per possession type of number to that lack of spacing, he offsets part of that by generating additional possessions. Deandre Jordan does not do that, at least not nearly at the same, the same level. And then Dwight is so much better defensively that you can at least advocate for the trade-off, right? The idea of going big is there's a trade-off. That's, that's what Frank would tell you, right? Like, okay, I'm looking at this like, if I go big, I'm getting this and I'm giving this, right? But the problem was with DeAndre is it was illogical from the beginning because all you were doing was giving. You were giving away offense and you were giving away defense. It was hurting you on both ends of the floor. It never made sense to begin with. It was. It's probably the biggest... A uh, red mark on Frank's coaching job this season has been the DeAndre thing. We we can argue about a- his case for Avery Bradley made perfect sense to me. Hey, dude, it's not in the numbers, but we like the way his effort is contagious. We think it will eventually bear out. You know that that's totally logical to me because Avery Bradley does make sense as a in in a in a vacuum as a basketball fit with those guys. The DeAndre thing made absolutely no sense from the beginning. And so it's interesting to see Dwight have this, have this moment, have this success. And hopefully with this LeBron, uh, you know, if there's a silver lining to the LeBron thing, you're going to get to see a lot of Dwight next to AD over the course of the next 10 days. And I think you'll see that with this group dialed in the way that they're supposed to be dialed in the way that they haven't been most of the, most of the season. I think you're going to see them be a really, really good defensive team over the course of the next week. They're going to play big a lot without LeBron I, I expect to see a lot of Dwight, and as long as everyone continues this this momentum on that front, in, in terms of the uh, the willingness to do the job, I, I think you'll I think you'll see it work. You know, uh, early in the game, you know, you saw this is where I wanted to get into a little bit of the details having to do with um, you know the little things that make basketball teams good. You know, when you kicked on the effort, it was always going to take a couple games, like I said, to to establish the good habits. In Frank's system, he still likes to run drop. You're probably going to see a lot of drop with Dwight in the lineup, right? Because they're not going to want to do as much switching with Dwight out there. So that puts a lot on the other guys on the floor. You're asking the first play of the game. If you remember, they ran a pick and roll and uh, yep. both both DJ and whoever it was on the ball, whether it was THT or uh, Russ, uh, went with the ball handler, little pocket pass to Rashawn Holmes. And Ellington was there. But he was like a solid two seconds late. And he basically just two-hand patted the dude on the chest and gifted him a free free throw just for poops and giggles. you know. And those are those little details, right? It's not like anybody wasn't playing hard on that possession. It's just the team on a string does not have the habit instilled yet of helping when that kind of thing happens. And it's, it was going to take time for that to get fixed. In the third quarter, when they were the, – everyone was flying around. Anthony Davis off the ball in those pick and roll coverages. Dwight Howard was more active in the drop, coming up higher and actually bothering the pass rather than kind of sitting in that no-man's land where you could just throw it over the top. Those details started to shape in uh, over the course of this game. And the key there is consistent consistency. If they continue to develop and practice those details over the course of this next week, and with LeBron eventually coming back too, they have the talent to be a very, very, very good defensive team, especially with Anthony Davis playing this way. You know, I, one of my favorite possessions was the one that I shared out with Austin Reeves. It's freaking hard to do what he did on that possession. If you go on my Twitter feed, scroll down. It's one of the last like two or three things I tweeted. It's really hard to do what Austin Reeves did on that possession. To cl- He he's stepped in to help on the pick and roll, which forced the skip pass. When the skip pass came, he sprinted out and took away the shot from Tyrese Halliburton soon as that happened, they threw a pass back into the post and he kind of got back into his defensive position and then Tyrese Halliburton shot off a dribble handoff and he had to chase the dude over the top of the dribble handoff and he kind of got beat a little bit, but he knew as soon as he got beat, he's like, I have to box out Alex Lynn. That's my job now. I failed at this job, but it's okay. My teammate helped me. I now have to cover for my teammate and he dove and he pushed Alex Lynn damn near out of bounds and they were able to secure the rebound. Now ironically Malik Monk immediately dribbled it off his foot out bounce <laughs> which was right. the which was the theme of the first half. My point is is like it like I said a couple pods ago it is hard to play winning basketball. It is not the fun isn't in the job, the fun is in the result. The Lakers looked like they were having a hell of a good time there in that second half run. Sure. But the work they were doing to generate that run was hard. It was hard work. And I, and I just in general, it's good to see them get rewarded for that hard work because that will continue to encourage them to do it moving forward.:
1: I love that play you you signal out about Austin Reeves because I, I had that one down too. That's instinctual for him, though, right? Like that like he didn't even have to like think like, "Oh, should I go box out Alex Land? Oh, this is gonna hurt. It's just like, boom, shot goes up. I'm finding a body, right? And that's just instinctual for him. And that's not what you know, Monk and Ellington are, and it was going to take time. But you, you pointed out that first play of the game, uh, they ran a, they actually got a bunch of lob dunks off of the Halliburton and Holmes pick and roll, right? It just felt like Halliburton, Holmes, pick and roll, lob dunk. But in the second half, I thought they really took those away. Ellington was starting to tag there. Malik Monk, he's not going to bother it as much, but he was tagging, and that's all you can ask. Like, do your job, do your role. And I thought they did. I thought the guards did their job in the second half. And I thought Dwight was incredible. His energy taking away Rashawn. Rashawn Holmes, I believe, like, punked our team for a lot of that first half. Like, just a lot of offensive rebounds, finishing finishing at the rim. Uh, so it was good to see that. And again, like you talked about with Austin Reeves, just his instinctual way to play defense. I wanted to kind of ask you because we got some, like, Trevor Ariza news, right? And and <laughs> you were higher on him kind of in the summer. I've been saying that, you know, putting your hopes in a 36-year-old wing is is probably misplaced. <laughs> But it's obvious the team feels this way too. And and Vogel has been gaining a lot of crap this year, but he came out and said he needs to find lineups until Trevor Ariza gets back.
0: And Did you hear McMenamin about, say that he might be a week or two out? That was what he right. said on the low post, which was yeah.
1: wild to me. Insane. Yeah, so him and LeBron could hope like could, you know, theoretically come back at the same time, uh, which would be an awesome kind of way to get the get those back. But I was just thinking about that in terms of this team. Cause it's very clear. Vogel is searching. I mean, you can say what you want about the Avery, Brad- Avery Bradley was out tonight with a sprained thumb. We'll see how long he's out. Uh, but uh, you can tell he's searching. He he had a quick, quick pull for Deandre Jordan. And we'll see if Trevor Reza just fits right into that. Cause I think he does. Like I talked about with Austin Reeves, Trevor Reeves has made a career out of doing that, right? Doing the dirty work, not even have to think about it. He goes and boxes out. There's no like, Oh, should I go? No, no, no. It's, a shot goes up. I have to get myself on a body. I have to box out. He does the dirty things. This team doesn't have a lot of players that do the dirty work. And I think that's what they're missing. And that's why Austin Reeves, to me, just stands out on the film so much because he does that inst- instinctually. It's not even, you don't have to tell him to go do it. And that's where I think uh, Trevor Reza can fix. So I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that because I thought it was huge. Trevor Reeves spoke with the media. Um, and he's not close in terms of like a few days, but you talked about David McMenamin said maybe 10 to 12 days. Like that would be a huge addition to a team with no wings, uh, or at least with Bazemore, especially just out of the rotation as well. I think that would be a huge addition too to a, to a defense that looks like it's, it's hopefully trending upwards.
0: Well, I think Ariza unlocks your ability to ditch some of these kind of, um, archaic defensive schemes, you know, like you oh, yeah. and I. You and I are way anti-drop coverage under any circumstances. That's something that you and I have complained about, about other teams and our team. Um, the Lakers got away with it in in 2020 because they were so, so, so good everywhere else on the floor. But the truth of the matter is when push came to shove against the best teams in the league in the playoffs, mm-hmm. they did a lot of switching. Um, and the, they just can't do that right now. They have to play Dwight in order to cover for the lack of LeBron that therefore you can't just run around with AD and Dwight switching everything. It's just too funky of a lineup group for that type of defensive style. And so you have to, you have to run drop coverage, just kind of like an unfortunate side effect of, of, of their personnel circumstance right now, but giving Trevor Ariza is just that obvious plug-in that raises the, the, you know, aggregate length and athleticism of any lineup. Um, from having – especially with how many small guards the Lakers play. And that just inherently gives you more flexibility defensively with your scheming. Um, so obviously Ariza is going to be uh, huge in in that regard. Um, but, like, as far as, like, you know, I, I – to figure out how to make it work with this group for this stretch of time because Ariza is a week and a half out at least, or a week or sure. two out, according to McManaman. That, that to me feels way overly optimistic. I heard that he just started running, so like the idea of going from just running to you know playing NBA basketball that feels like a, a little bit further out, especially when you factor in Frank's insistence on getting lots of practice reps with the, with the group. I mean, obviously, I'll be thrilled if he comes back sooner, but. You know, in the Sorry. meantime, in this, in this period of time to try to grind out a win against the Clippers and to try to grind out a win against the Celtics, it needs to be like what you saw tonight. Lots of mm. bigger lineups, either AD at the five or AD and Dwight, lots of, or obviously you're going to have to rest AD, So you're going to see some Dwight in there as well, but just lots of, uh, lots of flying around, lots of feeding off. You know, this is something Vinay just sent us a message. I don't know if you noticed that Raj, but he, uh, 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 pointed out the, the fact that the Lakers in general seem to feed off of their own offensive success in order to find the motivation to do what they're supposed to do defensively. And that's just human nature. Um, especially when you got players like this, where their basketball character gears them more towards the things that they enjoy to do, which are the things that they do on the offensive end of the floor. Um, that's a, this is another reason why that starting lineup in, in a vacuum is so frustrating going with DeAndre because it's hard to ask a group to do a dirty job when the result isn't showing on the scoreboard. When you look on the scoreboard and you're down 18 to 12 again and your offense looks clunky as hell, why do you believe Frank when he says, oh, if you fight over the top of the screen – and apply back pressure. And oh, if you get lost, if you dive to the big and box him out out of bounds and you get elbowed in the face and all this stuff, it's going to help us win. You're going to think he's crazy because it's not helping you win. And so that's why you, there has to be a delicate balance there. It's, it's going to be easier with limited lineups in terms of defensive personnel, but that can score the hell out of the basketball to try to get them to buy into some of those dirty work concepts. Because then if they do that, and their shots are falling and they feel that you know motor revving and it leads to them doing that work and they go back to the huddle and they're up 7 or they're up 9 it kind of it kind of adds legitimacy to the game plan you know what i mean and that that's where that's where that's where you and i have been preaching all all year long about leaning into your offensive identity it's going to be easier to convince in this particular group with this particular kind of roster construction it's going to be easier to convince this unelite offensive team to buy in enough on defense to win than vice versa. I mean, we basically learned that with the Brooklyn Nets last year. Like they realized like they were scoring the hell out of the basketball. And so Steve Nash and the staff was able to convince them to put in enough effort on that end to get, to close the deal. The difference is with this team, when they're healthy is you got LeBron and AD on the back line. So guess what? You're going to be able to hit an offense or defensive ceiling, even with limited personnel that that Brooklyn Nets team never could. And that's what made me so excited about this roster coming into the season. And so I I hope to see kind of more of that momentum building. And I thought tonight was the first night that we saw that nuclear potential that this team has, ironically, without LeBron, that – two-way here's our suffocating defense and oh by the way you just gave wayne ellington a wide open three but what the hell were you going to do russ put his head down and did this vicious spin move into the lane and if you didn't collapse the entire defense on him he was going to get a layup so th- that, that that's that's the what's so cool about this dynamic and, and to watch that momentum build is this is what i envisioned this laker identity to be no they weren't going to be as suffocating as they were with alex caruso on the wing and with with the KCP on the wing, but they could get reasonably close to that with an infinitely higher offensive ceiling because of all the shooting around them. And so it's good to see that kind of develop.
1: Yeah. And you talked about this team gets its, you know, energy offensive uh, from their offensive success. That's Russell Westbrook, right? Like you can tell Russell Westbrook gets all of his energy when he starts scoring, when he starts getting to the basket, starting to go to the free throw line you see him start to rock the baby, right? Even though we were, like, down eight, he gets his first, like, post-up score. He starts to rock the baby going to timeout. You could tell the whole energy just shifted. And that's what I think, like, we've been talking about all year of leaning into, not just in an offensive identity, which is what this team is, leaning into the Russell Westbrook identity because that's what this team basically needs to be, uh, especially with LeBron out. This team is going to go... Anthony Davis may be the best player but this team is going to go as Russell Westbrook kind of goes. He had like 5 points I think uh close to halftime. Like they need his production. They need him engaged. You tell you can tell his defense just turns up, right? His energy defensively. He starts fighting over screens. He starts using his physicality to his advantage defensively. It's just stuff he doesn't and it's just part of him as a basketball player. When he's disengaged, he doesn't he disengages on both ends uh, defensively. You know, he ball watches a lot. He gets lost, but you can tell when he starts to score and he can feel the game turning. He turns it on on both ends. And I thought on defense we saw that tonight as well in the third quarter. He's a chaotic defender, right? Like he he wants to create chaos and he wants to create turnovers that gets him going. And I think his scoring lends into that. And that's what this team needs to do. You're right. These slow starts are just so lethargic. It's so counterintuitive to the way the team needs to play. We started Wayne Ellington, but he couldn't get any shots, right? We ran no action for him either. And we have like four non-spacing guys. And so they can just stay at home on Wayne Ellington. And you saw in that third quarter, things open up. And you're right. When Russ gets to the rim and now he has two guys in the corner – you make his you make his reads a little bit more automatic. He's throwing to spaces instead of players. He's, stu- he's throwing exactly. He's throwing to, so he's throwing to corners, right? Instead of who's in the corner, and you see him do this a lot, and this is how he gets a lot of turnovers. Like he'll <laughs> drive, so like he'll drive and get in the paint, and then expect like the big to already be at the three point line, but like our big is jogging back, right? So like the ball goes to half court, but he does this in the half court setting too. Like he loves to find the corners. And he wants a guy in the corner there. And it's just really tough when you have uh, no spacing, no actual shooters there where there's no spacing around him. So I just think there's stuff that we have to play into Russ. And I think you saw that in the third quarter. Again, I think it's no accident. Uh, Again, we won the third quarter 37 to 15. And we've won the second half 67 to 33. Like that's, that's that's no coincidence to me. And DeAndre Jordan's not all at fault for that. It's not all at blame. I think also the... THT sub was real and it's not THT's fault he's just a ball handler that wants to get to the rim next to three other guys who aren't shooters, who aren't spacers and he's not a good enough spacer spacing shooter yet so what do, what do you what do you
0: make of the THT thing moving forward because this has been a pretty extended nasty stretch of basketball for him
1: I mean again like I try to keep it in context he's a guy who just turned 21 he's a guy that needs the ball in his hands he needs on ball reps and I think that has to come with Russ off the floor, uh, maybe next to AD and shooting. And then I don't know if those lineups are viable, uh, if those lineups are viable defensively, but that's kind of where he's at right now. He's in this middle ground place. And this is kind of, he's in a winning situation. So he's going to have to earn every minute he gets, yep. right? Like these, uh, these aren't given minutes at all. If Malik Monk is outplaying him, he's not going to play. Like that's just how it's going to go on this team. On another team he would average, you know, 25 28 minutes a game, get all the high ball screen reps that he wants. Could probably average 17 5 on a on a, you know, on a great on a great efficiency or whatever on another team, but on this team he's going to have to defend. He's going to have to be at least somewhat of a respectable spot-up shooter. I know he loves to attack closeouts and he's great at attacking closeouts, but teams have scouted him. They close out short to him. All the, all the time now, like if you watch, if you watch teams close out to him, they close out to him short. They're expecting the drive. He goes in. He's trying to. He's trying to kick it back out. It just looks ugly. And I think he'll get there. He has enough talent. Um, he's shown enough on ball skill. It's just on this team, he's not going to get those type of reps. So it'll be interesting to see, especially when we get healthy. Kendrick Nunn is still not close, which I don't know what that means, <laughs> but uh, when he gets back, obviously Trevor Risa we'll see where the minutes come from. I think defensively THC can still be great. Did you see that block he had tonight? I think it was in the that first quarter. That was an impressive play. That was, that, his, was that was his
0: all-star play that he has every game.
1: Yes, that was absolutely incredible. He got beat off the dribble and still caught up and and pinned it off the backboard. I was just like, wow, that's that's special. That's, that's that's There's some special defense there, but offensively, it's just ugly right now. But he's young. It's... It's not going to be pretty. He's not, and I we talked about it when he was averaging twenty five points a game or whatever first three first three games. Like he's probably not that player. He's also not the player that you know goes scoreless in three straight games. He's somewhere in between there, but just on this team, he doesn't get the reps that that he would.
0: Yeah, the Tht thing was one of the more interesting phenomena of the game, in my opinion, because he was completely disheveled by ball pressure from Davion Mitchell. And you, you know, you see a lot of, of ball pressure in the NBA, but it's usually pretty relaxed, you know, because NBA ball handlers are so good and guys don't really believe in devoting that much energy to it. But Davion mm-hmm. Mitchell, like just he, he knows that that's his elite skill um, that he brings sure. to the table. So he leans very heavily into it. And, you know, b- ball pressure rushes, uh, rushes a ball handler, makes them make a decision before they want to. Most ball handlers like to comfortably dribble away from the basketball. The play develops, and either make their entry pass into the offense, wherever it is, or if they have to start at the top of the key to, if their initiation is some sort of pick and roll, they like to comfortably work their way into it so that they can make a read. And when you apply ball pressure, it accelerates that process and makes every, and, and especially it, it uh, it's especially tests your ability to control the pace of a game. Um, and what was really, it's, it's a, it's a big reason why with my high school kids, I'm such a believer in ball pressure because high school kids, are terrible at controlling the pace of the game offensively. And they're terrible at adapting to that kind of thing. So if you can apply really good ball pressure at the high school level, you can cripple an offense. Um, it's just kind of like a basketball philosophy that, that I believe in. Um, but it was interesting because Davion Mitchell really, really rushed THT to the point where he fell apart. And it was bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Now, You're not going to face ball pressure like Davion Mitchell on a nightly basis, so you don't want to overreact to it in terms of his, um, you know, projecting him as a player moving forward. But it does point out a a reality of the situation with him on this roster. Like you said, this is a team that has championship aspirations, but also a team that has a lot of guys who can make decisions off the dribble. A lot of guys that can do what they're asking THT to do, whether that's Malik Monk, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, even a little bit of AD, even a little bit of Malik Monk, and then obviously – Kendrick Nunn's coming back. So this isn't a team that can afford to toss THT 20 reps a night as a primary initiator uh, and sacrifice whatever, you know, comes from that. Like tonight, you know, he was a big part of the reason why the Lakers were in such a hole to begin with was that's that sequence that he went on early in the game when he kept turning the ball over. So that's where it gets tricky because I still think he's, good enough defensively and good enough at attacking closeouts that you can play him. And I still think he should play, uh, um, you know, even with this, this type of struggle. But I think putting the ball in his hands as a primary initiator on this team, I think is a risk the Lakers can't afford to take. Um, You know, maybe if you're higher up in the standings and you had a little bit more of a, of a buffer zone there, you could get away with it. But in this situation, I think you got to take the ball out of his hands and and try to lean into him as an off-ball player offensively because we've seen him have some success there. And you're right. He's got to start making shots. Guys are closing out short, blah, blah, blah. But I like him, you know, attacking a short closeout more than I like him bringing the ball up the floor against pressure and trying to dissect the defense. And you can see that really really get in his head tonight. So I'm interested to see moving forward. Obviously, Frank made the mid-game adjustment of just taking him out. (laughs) But Uh I'd I'd be interested to see moving forward if they take the ball out of his hands a little bit more uh, in terms of as a primary initiator.
1: And and just to play like, I guess, devil's advocate for ThT, because I think there are two trains of thought with him. So we have a team full of, we have three stars, and then we have a team full of minimum guys, right? The only other guys are Kendrick Nunn and ThT, which are on mid mid uh, mid-level contracts tht me tht to me has the biggest gap between what he is now and what he could be in a few months right when it comes to the playoffs so i think there is some some level of if you want to develop tht and i think it can be worth it so I, I i don't think he's a guy you just throw out of the rotation either and i think that's a tough kind of game you play here because there is enough talent there you see it with his on-ball skills even when the three doesn't go in He's obviously a guy that likes to put the ball on the ground before he shoots. So he does these like beautiful step back, almost James Harden like you know threes. Even when the defender's not there, he still likes to step back uh, and take like thirty five footers. Uh, but I think there is there is something to that because all these other guys, you kind of know who they are. I mean, Malik Monk, he's still a young guy, but you kind of know he's a microwave scorer who's he's been playing great. Uh, but then again, Carmelo Anthony, Wayne Ellington, you know he's going to be, you know what he does on a night-to-night night basis. THT is still, you can still look at THT as this, like, ball of clay, right? And you can still mold it to to be something more than what, what he is right now. And I think there is a devil's advocate there to where I think there, the reps that he gets have to be uh, controlled. Like, I think there has to be process put into it. I don't think you can just throw him uh, a bunch of on-ball, you know, responsibilities, but I think putting him next to lineups where he's he gets the playoff ball, where he gets to have the ball in his hands some. Like we used to run this action for KCP a lot. And I would like to see it uh this year. I don't see it as much uh where he just KCP would start in the corner, he'd come off a little dribble handoff with Dwight Howard. Uh, it'd be a double screen usually, and and he'd get to come off and it'd be an easy read. KCP either takes the mid-range jumper or he either either gets it to the rolling man or he swings it to the wing for the open three. And I'd like THT in those spots. It's just too much like Rust THT at the top of the key trying to decide who attacks on a possession. It hasn't looked pretty when those two share it. But yeah, that's like the devil's advocate, I guess, because THT has the biggest gap of what he is now and what he will become. These other guys are kind of minimum players and veterans who are, who, you know, shown what they are in their career. Yeah, no, I get that. And I, I, You know, uh, my thing is like him reps, but get him reps
0: that look like what they're going to look like in the highest leverage moments.
1: Like exactly, AD
0: or like THT should run pick and roll for us in the playoffs. But it will probably be as a second side creator, meaning like sure. it will be the the action that you run after the first action fails. And for the record, that alleviates. There's a reason why you put the lesser player in that position. It's an it's an easier job in a lot of ways. Like for, like for instance, mm. like if if Davion Mitchell is. Ball pressuring the shit out of you as soon as you get the ball in bounds all the way up the floor, you're 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 just you're wearing yourself out for no reason. But like let's say LeBron brings the ball at the floor, runs a pick and roll. In the pick and roll, Davion Mitchell has to tag into the lane to help on the roll man. As a result, LeBron skips it to THT. Now Davion Mitchell's closing out on you. So mm-hmm. you have room to breathe when you catch. You're not having to bring the ball up the floor against him with a live dribble. Now you're catching him in a triple threat. You have an opportunity to protect the ball, either attack the closeout or protect the ball, wait for the screen to come, and you're already in your position that you want to be in in order to run that action. That kind of me, that kind of thing to me looks a lot more like what it's going to look like for Tht in the highest leverage moments. So get him a get him a ton of reps like that. You know, like I, I. Again, I'm with you. Don't take him out of the rotation because that's an investment. You need to invest in THT as a guy that can be mm-hmm. a talent boon at the highest levels. You know, like Phoenix freaking beat Golden State tonight literally without Devin Booker in the second half. They're really, really good. Phoenix is really good. Golden State's really good. Like you're going you're gonna to find yourself in a situation where LeBron and AD might not be enough in a vacuum. Um, or maybe one of them is a little hampered or one of them is not playing well, or maybe AD is still not shooting the ball particularly well. We're going to need a lot from Russ. We're going to need a lot from somebody. We're going to need somebody to be our Mikhail Bridges. You know, We're going to need somebody to be our Jordan Poole, somebody who can make big plays outside of our star power. And maybe that's THT. And maybe that investment starts today. I just don't think it'll look like, here we're inbounding to THT and LeBron and Russ are just running the wings and spotting up <laughs> while we, while we let THT run action. I just don't think that's what it's going to look like. And so that's mm-hmm. the the next key is kind of finding out how to, you know, kind of invest in THT while also, you know, making it look like what it's actually going to look like.
1: Exactly. That's the conundrum you have when you have a you know young talent on a good team. Uh, the Warriors, I think they're going to go through it when they get Wiseman and you see how they're... Uh, Deploying Kuminga as well uh, in the rotation. They're not just giving Kuminga a bunch of a bunch of minutes, right? He has to earn every minute he gets. So he gets in, he plays hard, plays defense, and then that's how he gets minutes. And I think uh, it's not the same thing with Tht who's now in your year, year three, um, but similar kind of thing. He has to earn every minute he gets. He has to defend and uh, play the right way, play off ball, and it's not perfect. Talon obviously wants the ball in his hands uh but it's just not the role he's in right now but i think he'll get there i think he's good enough i think he works hard enough you could tell um he you could tell the way he works uh i think that and his shot to me is is better than he's shown and i wish he would shoot more honestly like i i think he has a better shot than he 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 puts up in terms of volume so i just like him to shoot a little bit more teams are closing out short I think he's too good of a shooter to to keep passing those up to try to drive in a clogged lane. But but Talon will get there. It's a he's still young. It's he's early. Just turned twenty one. So you have to be patient with uh, with those kind of players for sure. Yep,
0: I agree. Did you have anything else you wanted to hit on tonight? We're right at fifty five minutes, so it's a good stopping point. Uh,
1: no, I think that was pretty much it. Something to kind of build off of. Oh, I, I think I saw something here. Uh, somebody was sharing with me. I'm not you. I'm not sure if you saw it. Um, Harrison tweeted it out, and I can kind of summarize it. I guess Dwight Howard was told he wasn't going to play tonight either. Um by, by by Frank Vogel um before the what? game. What? Yeah, and so That's uh, crazy. and so he said he was kind of down but uh he says he stayed ready and so I guess he uh I guess DeAndre Jordan wasn't living up to Frank Vogel's expectation tonight and and Dwight Howard uh got the minutes. But yeah, that was a uh, post game uh from Harrison.
0: Well, what's hilarious about that is DeAndre Jordan looked exactly the same tonight as he did every other time. I saw him. <laughs> like, I don't know what happened. I guess the honeymoon phase just final tonight. Tonight is the night, whatever it is. What is it? November 31st tonight sure. or November 30th. Tonight is the night, guys, that the rose colored glasses, the honeymoon phase between Frank Vogel and DeAndre Jordan. Ended because he was playing the same damn basketball he had been playing all season. <laughs> that is hilarious. Um, all right, guys. So it's going to be a little bit of a funky rest of the week. Cause the Lakers don't play much. I think they play once before next Tuesday. So um, we're going to do Raj is pretty busy with work. So I might do some kind of solo pod either Wednesday or Thursday, uh, just on some league at large type stuff. Um, and then we will have a, uh, a post game show obviously on Friday after the Clipper game. Um, and then Raj and I will probably do uh like some sort of film deep dive, something along those lines, uh, in a traditional podcast format on either Saturday or Sunday. Uh we'll figure that part out. Um, but obviously, yeah, like the we're we're used to going every other night and we're heading into a little bit of a, a gap here, but um, we're definitely gonna keep the content coming. As always, we really appreciate you guys and your support and and rocking with us uh through through this whole last couple of seasons. Um, This is going to air on Dash Radio tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and we'll be on our podcast feed here in about 30 minutes. Um, Thank you guys so much, and we will see you in a couple of days. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone.